the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 37 here on the podcast, and a big week uh, as far as the podcast is concerned, because, Larry, you have been inducted, or not inducted yet, you've been, uh, you will be inducted into the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association Hall of Fame in April, and uh, first of all, congratulations. Thank you very much kind of humbling and uh, certainly appreciated. Well, we uh, Larry was honored uh, in Mackey at our recent game against Maryland, which was uh, got a very cool ovation. And uh, our guest today and we're and I think this ties in really well as we welcome in Rob Blackman on episode 37 here of the uh, the podcast. Rob, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Very good. Thank you. I have I've been a loyal listener since day 1 on the podcast, so very excited that I finally get to be a part of it. Well, and we'll get into a bunch about Rob, and uh, I, I did want to spend a little time on, I know Larry's uh, squirming in his chair now to talk about this <laughs> Hall of Fame stuff, but uh, I think it, I think it's pretty interesting stuff, and, and one of the things we've done is looking at all the Indiana broadcasters that are in the Hall of Fame, and a lot of guys that uh, are idols of ours or, you know, we're huge fans of, um, Going in on the class with Larry Conrad Bruner, who a lot of people in the Indianapolis area know, and then Mark Monty, who's also in your class. Uh, um, Mark has been around the program from time to time, wrote the, the book Passion Play on the uh, 88. Yeah, been around the Pacers a long time. I saw Mark at uh, Crossroads, and I was uh, watching the second game between Indiana and Notre Dame. I was just in the stands, and he was, oh, 10 rows from me, I guess. I saw him, but I didn't want to bother him or get up in anybody's way and then in a timeout he was to my right and he came up and congratulated me of course we were all on the quiet and I had only you know they had told me don't say anything I had heard about it last August and yeah, I mean it's hard to tell somebody that and so we're not going to release this thing for six months and so I, I limited it to the people that, uh, you know, I really cared about, which I think the last list was 135 people. But, <laughs> 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 but uh, having said that, Mark was standing there in the aisle. We were talking. He congratulated me. And I said, hey, by the way, how would you know? Because, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I filled her down. I said, oh, I'm going in with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're sitting around the ISSA going, hey, I think Clisby might have spilled the beans. We're getting a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of reports and feedback coming that he said he's in the class. But uh, Well, I want to thank publicly, uh, and I'll have a chance to do this later, but I have to thank our good friend over here, Rob Blackman, who had a lot to do with this, and, and also uh, Tom Kubot, who is yeah. uh, head of the uh, board of directors or the selection committee there at uh, Sports Writers Broadcasters Hall of Fame and uh, in that association. And so... When you think about that, and of course Tom was a colleague of mine, he worked at the Journal Courier in Lafayette for a long time. Well, you think it was hard for you. I got the call from Tom in July, because he and I had kind of spearheaded this effort, right? So I had known since mid-July and was sworn to secrecy. Uh, so I was just happy when you had finally found out, because <laughs> yeah. then I could finally tell someone also. Yeah, well, and you did what you were supposed to do, I didn't, but anyway. <laughs> Well, Rob has been, he is, and that was another reason I wanted to have Rob on uh, the podcast here is Rob's been working on this uh, for a while and, and uh, 
Yeah, you know, 13, we, 13 years. Uh, <laughs> Five years, technically. Uh, if you well, want. the first class was in 96. So this yeah. uh, we're not talking about an organization that's been inducting people since the 50s or something <laughs> like that. This is the first, the first class in 96. And uh, Johnny DeCamp was in that inaugural class. Gordon Graham, longtime columnist at the Lafayette Journal Courier. Um, some, some big names. Tom Carnegie was in that inaugural class. And, um, you know, we go through that list and um, – just the names that pop up, the Chris Shankles and the uh, Jerry Bakers and Hilliard all, Gates, and, the Hilliard Gates mm-hmm. and all the and Dick Ham and all these guys that uh, if you're a uh, if you're an Indiana sports fan, um, you know these are household names. How about Sid Collins? Sid Collins, uh, Bob was in the, Collins, and Bob Collins in the initial class. So a lot of guys that uh, uh, Bob Ford, another Purdue guy that that went and he went in in '05. So. Um, a lot of guys that uh, Kubot in 07, a lot of guys with Purdue ties, um, a lot of guys with Indianapolis ties. So uh, it, it's it's really cool to see. It's it's long overdue in our mind that you're in. But uh, well, if you want, if I could have 30 seconds to tell the backstory, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So tell it, talk us through this process of how this all started. All right. So roughly, I don't know. It went, I, I do know. It was five years ago exactly. Uh, I just happened to stumble upon the website for the Indiana Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association. Uh, just on one of those days where you're browsing the web because you're bored out of your mind. And, and so I thought, oh, what a neat organization. And then I saw they had a Hall of Fame. And the names you guys are mentioning, I was reading as well. I'm like, man, yeah, there are some real legends there. And, and there were some, uh, some other names that I didn't recognize. You know, smaller town newspaper guys that certainly are, are deserving. But I thought to myself, my goodness, Larry Clisby isn't on right. here. Uh, and so it was at that time that I reached out actually to Tom Kubot because they had a list of the, I guess you'd call them the board of directors mm-hmm. uh, for that organization. Tom was on there. And so I reached out to Tom and we had a nice conversation. We kind of got the ball rolling, although I will admit, Cliz, we got the ball rolling five years ago and then I just kind of let it lie uh, dead for a while. And then this, two, uh, this past spring, actually, right when the season ended last year, for some reason, I, I got a bird in my saddle to, to get back on this project, and I, I reached out to Tom. And now Tom Kubat, as you mentioned, is the president of the organization, so he'd been elevated. Uh, so I was like, Tom, we got to make this happen. I mean, look at all these names here, and Larry Clisby isn't on there? And he was very – he agreed that, yeah, we got to get the Clis in there. Uh, two other guys I really need to thank, Bob Lovell, uh, who is in the Hall of Fame himself. I reached out to him. I called him that afternoon. And Greg Rakestraw, who's a member of the board and a and, uh, really good broadcaster in Indianapolis, right. two guys that I knew would be very influential in helping me getting Cliz in. And I said, hey, do you guys mind making some phone calls, talk to the people that actually do the voting? And, and they were more than receptive to help. So, uh, And then I got the call, as I said, in July. Uh, Tom actually called me. Uh, I was on vacation, actually, on my annual guys fishing trip up in Wisconsin. He called me, and I was like, man, this is great news. But, of course, then, of course, the concern for me was I have to keep this a secret <laughs> until I finally tell Cliz, which was months later. But that's how that thing all got started really five years ago, and I'm glad it finally came to fruition. Now, how much cash was involved for the bribing process? <laughs> yes, that was a difficult part because I don't make very much cash. <laughs> Well, I remember we had that bake sale, and I wondered where that money was going to. <laughs> well, I, and and we it, the funny thing is, is last year I remember we were on a trip, and I can't remember where we were, but I had pulled that website up, and we were going through the names on the bus, and we were going to a practice or something, and I was I was reading off the names. We would then everybody would kind of offer up a story for that particular mm-hmm. sports announcer, and so. Uh, you know, Coach Painter may talk about 
oh yeah i'd listen to you know this guy when i was a kid or i saw this or this guy interviewed me one time or and then you know larry would offer up a story and then rob would offer a story and then i'd say a story and it was a really cool conversation and it never dawned on me it never dawned on me that uh that all this behind-the-scenes work was yeah. going on to try to get that And done. that, actually, I remember that conversation. It was kind of part of my re-inspiration to, oh, i got to get back on this project. <laughs> the funny part is the guys that I mentioned that I talked to, spoke to, and called and asked for help, they all had the same uh, response, and it was, Cliz isn't already in the Hall of Fame? I mean, they, most guys thought you were already in. I mean, you've been doing it for, I don't know, 41 years now? Yeah. They just all assumed you were already in the Hall of Fame. Like, no, no, he's actually not. Uh, so, But now you will be, so... Well, thank you again. Okay, well, now let's get into something more interesting. We'll talk about Rob. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of a self-serving uh, show this week. So well, and if it's just so our, li- it. our just so our listeners know, and we would welcome, um, we would welcome any input they would have too. On uh, Cliz has been already starting on his speech and coming up with some some items he wants to uh, to get to in that the induction ceremonies in April on April 8th mm-hmm. and uh, so he's been tossing out ideas on on the road trip here uh, about uh, what different some different elements <laughs> of his speech quit it quit <laughs> and, and it so we've all been kind of offering <laughs> offering our two cents quit it. so anyway if if anybody out there has any any thoughts uh, feel free to send them to our email address boilerballpodcast at gmail.com and if anybody has any congratulatory messages or just general feedback on the podcast, please uh, please reach out to us and let us know. So, Rob, is uh, one of the things I, that we've always talked about um, when you're around is your background. Uh, you are an Evansville Purple Ace. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So, and uh, talk us talk us through your where you're from, where you grew up, and then kind of how you um, got into sports. Okay, sure. Uh, so, I grew up on a farm. Uh, basically halfway between the towns of Monticello and Buffalo, Indiana. Now you have to be a real diehard uh, from that part of the state to know where Buffalo, Indiana is. Very small town right on the Tippecanoe River. Um, but I, I grew up uh, on a farm, as I said, between those two towns. Uh, when you tell people Monticello, they normally assume you went to Twin Lakes High School. I did not. Uh, I was a country kid, so I went to North White, which is over in Monon, Indiana. Uh, so I went to North White High School, was very involved in sports. Uh, you know, the beauty of going to a small high school is if you're a, uh, an athlete of any sort, you're basically needed for all the teams so you can field teams, right? So in high school, I played baseball uh, and football and basketball and ran track. It was a four-sport guy because, right, you need the players. You need the athletes. So that was a, a great advantage of going to a small school. Um, ended up uh, going to University of Evansville, played football there when they still had football. Uh, They actually dropped the program in 1997. My senior season was the fall of 92, so five years. I I think they just assumed if, well, now that Rob Blackman's gone, we can never get any. We're at the pinnacle. I was going to say that you were the, (laughs) they dropped it right when you came through, you ruined the whole thing for everybody. (laughs) It probably is more to the truth. Uh, But, yeah, so uh, went to the University of Evansville, played football, enjoyed it, graduated in in the spring of 93, and uh, was off and running in my broadcasting career. Uh, I did not. I, going to college, uh, I ultimately wanted to work in radio, but I actually wanted to be a DJ, a disc jockey. That's really? what I thought. So what, when, you, when did that bug hit you? When you were in high school? Uh, actually, than that? Uh, to be a disc jockey? Yeah. Yeah. In high school, I thought, man, 
my, uh, as I said, I grew up on a farm. My entire family is basically involved in agriculture in some way. And as I'll, everyone will tell you that that is really related to me or knows me well, <clears throat> excuse me, I was not meant to be a farmer. I was uh, I was the odd duck in that group. You're soft. I w- I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, unfortunately, my dad still made me do all the work. <clears throat> he didn't cut me a break on that, but it was pretty obvious from day one that life in agriculture was probably a little too difficult for old Rob. Um, but I did think that, you know, I thought, wow, guys on the radio are pretty cool, right? Uh, listen to Z96.5 out of Lafayette. I'm like, man, what a life. All I had to do was play some tunes and try to be funny every now and then. Uh, so I actually went to college thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a, a disc jockey. Communications uh, major? Uh, telecommunications. The beauty of Evansville, even though it's a small school, only 2,300 students, they did have their own and still do have their own student radio station. Uh, so all the students get a chance to be on the radio, and, and so I did do that as a freshman. Uh, but that freshman year, when football season was over, they also did – uh, the student station did women's basketball games and baseball and soccer. The, the students did the play-by-play. Uh, so I was like, you know, I, want, I like sports. I'd like to try my hand at that. And that's when the sports broadcasting bug bit me. Uh, my story is a little different. I know most people that get into this business talk about how they, you know, went to bed with a transistor radio under their pillow as a little kid. They <laughs> yeah. couldn't wait to be the next broadcaster yeah. of the yeah. Pittsburgh Pirates or Chicago Cubs. It really was not me. Uh, it was not until college, and I was like, oh, man, I, I really like sports. I'm actually fairly decent at this, I think, uh, and it seems to be a lot more fun than, than maybe spinning records. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's how I ended up doing the, the sports stuff. Well, that worked out well because I don't think anybody spins records anymore. It's <laughs> no, all right. Auto- I would be definitely out of work, yes. And comes from a different city and, and things Plus, like they that. program it like eight hours in advance, and so you don't even really have the guys that work at the station doing the voiceovers anymore. Yeah, you don't cases. even have live bodies in the yeah, building anymore, right. really. Yeah, it's a, and the uh, only thing that makes that bad is when that uh, if you don't have a real good system and it goes haywire, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you'll hear that every once in a while. Well, the three of us we talked a lot about radio, and I um, uh, have done games in college. I was doing high school and, and football and basketball, and I also worked at uh, uh, WND twelve sixty down in Indianapolis um, a couple summers, and uh, ran the board on Sunday mornings and and was a, a call screener for the uh, drive time talk show with at that time was Tim Bragg and uh, Bill Benner. Yeah, right. And uh, so we've the three of us have shared the horror stories of being in a studio and some of the things that come along with sitting in there on a Sunday morning <laughs> at 5 a.m. Oh, when they're <laughs> playing an infomercial. <laughs> and the story I shared the other day was we at the top of the hour, all my the only job I had was to shift the satellite, pick up a different feed, so we would pick up a different infomercial. So from five to five thirty, <laughs> it was something about you know fishing gear, and then from five thirty to six, it was something about some kind of a balm that you know cured a rash or something. <laughs> so all I had to do was change this satellite over. For some reason, I couldn't get this thing to work. So in the, in at that time, and I think it might still be that way, although it may be all digitized now. There's racks of 30-second PSAs, public service announcements. You know, don't do drugs. Uh, you know, don't drive drunk. All that stuff. Don't start forest fires. Don't exactly. The Smokey the <laughs> Bear. Smokey the Bear. Everyone plays that one. Everyone plays that PSA. Used to do that in 1970s. <laughs> hey, I'm Smokey the Bear. <laughs> and you could load these. You could load these uh, racks up, and I, I think they had at the time. I could put like eight. You could load eight up. 
and it would just fire from one to the next. So that bought you four minutes. So in a panic, I'm like, oh, man, I can't figure this satellite out. So I load up these PSAs. I'm like, well, boom, this will buy me four minutes to get this figured out. And I, they start firing off. And as I'm getting towards the end of the, eight, of the four minutes, I'm panicking because I still haven't got this satellite thing figured out. I've called the, 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 the person on supposed to be on duty. He didn't answer his phone. <laughs> of and course. I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old, and I'm, I'm like, oh, what is going to happen? <laughs> I didn't realize that there's like three people listening. <laughs> so <laughs> then I fire up four more or eight more, get four more minutes. He finally picks up, and he goes, well, what, what were the coordinates they wrote down? And I read them off to him. He goes, no, it's supposed to be a seven, not an eight. And I'm like, oh, okay. So somebody left me the wrong coordinates on the satellite, and everything was was fine but those are the kind of things that go on in the radio stations that, yeah and i'm sure so when you worked at the student station yeah we what kind I of mean, stuff did you broadcast games did you do well music? i started out actually uh a little known fact i started out on the afternoon jazz flight <laughs> so we had <laughs> jazz music from noon to three Soothing tones at, of jazz wuev uh, it was a typical college station very eclectic we i mean we had bluegrass music in the mornings uh, the jazz in the afternoons had rap, heavy metal late at night, right? So all the students cool. had different genres, genres they could work. I didn't necessarily ask for jazz, although I do like jazz music. But um, so that was my yeah my first real spin in the records job, if you would, was afternoon jazz flight with Rob Blackman. But uh, as I said, then I tried to pigeonhole myself more towards the sports only broadcasting into right. it. So I didn't do a whole lot of. Whole, whole lot of spinning the tunes. Did you get to do Purple Aces games? We did. Uh, we were not. Uh, we did not do men's basketball because it's Division One and was on a commercial station, right? And legitimately, actually, could sell ads and make money. Right. Uh, but I did women's basketball. Uh, I did soccer. Uh, did baseball, which actually was my favorite, doing uh, University of Evansville baseball. Obviously, couldn't do football because I was playing. Um, but yeah, so I did those sports. Yeah. Very cool. So when at the at the time when you're, I'm just picturing. Um, lugging gear out to a soccer field <laughs> in Evansville, yeah. setting up on a cart table probably. Yeah. yeah. Now the beauty of the opposite end of that was Evansville baseball at the time played at Bossy Field, which was mm-hmm. a former AAA ballpark mm-hmm. um, for the Evansville Triplets. So that was actually felt like real baseball. Right. I mean, you had a real broadcast booth and a, a real brick stadium, and so that actually did you know. But, but yes. There certainly were some cardboard tables involved with soccer and the other lesser sports, yes. Well, I think everybody's been in those situations. Oh, yeah. Any any broadcaster would has those stories where you show up in a less than ideal condition. <laughs> well, we had a TV 18 in Lafayette. We had cardboard uh, sats <laughs> back in the 1980s. <laughs> Just kidding. Almost, though. Well. Yeah. Feel free if you want. If you have anything you want to, you want any secrets you want to unleash. No, now, I don't. I don't. Now's want, the time. I don't want those people getting that. Okay. So you, so you get through Evansville, yep. and uh, now you know your path. Where, where's your first stop? Uh, Mount Carmel, Illinois, uh, which is not far uh, from Evansville. It's about 45 minutes, uh, right on the Wabash River, but on the Illinois side. So if you've ever traveled down Highway 41, headed to Evansville, if you get to Princeton, Indiana. 
if you just would head west and cross the river, you'd be at Mount Carmel. So Mount Carmel and Princeton are basically the same town, just separated by a river. So you had a pretty big ADI, which would be area of de uh, demographic influence. Well, it was interesting because, in a way, we did. It was a great experience for me because they had two radio stations in the same building. They had a uh, little 50-watt or 500-watt uh, AM station, which served Mount Carmel, the town, right? Uh, so I was got to do the news and the sports, but more importantly, got to call the high school games, uh, Mount Carmel High School football and, and basketball games. Uh, but then also in the building was a 50,000-watt FM rock and roll station, mm -hmm. Classic Rock, which had the antenna pointed towards Evansville, so it did serve the Evansville market. Wow. Uh, so I was uh, like the morning show sidekick guy, of, right, on that, on the FM really? rocker. So, yeah. Okay. So I kind of had dual duties, right? You were... You know, you were kind of, you know, a little homely, little small-town guy on one station. Then you'd run across the hallway to the other station and be like, you know, on the rock station. Did your personality change? On the uh, yes, uh, it did, um, just because I was basically told <laughs> that it had to change. But, I mean, yeah, and Cliz has been there. Look, at small-town radio, you're also you're reading uh, the school lunch menus, right? The obituaries. I mean, right? Sloppy Joe's. <laughs> yeah, so you're like in Mount Carmel North oh, Middle School. They'll Robert be having... Smith passed away yesterday. <laughs> so you really can't be, you know, rock and roll guy when you read the obituaries. It's just in bad taste. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a change, I think. So you have to shift from pizza, pineapple tidbits, and tater tots. <laughs> yeah, to, to Leonard Skinner. Well, I was, telling, I, was telling, I was telling someone the other day, you know, when I was in Paducah, and this is in the early 70s, the uh, Paducah, Kentucky, which isn't too far away from yeah, some of these area. areas. Yep, not far. Um, we had a, uh, because our bookie in town uh, was doing horse racing, uh, at 5.25 every day, we did the horse racing results mm. on our station. Right, right. And it just happened at the time we were in a bank building right above the... Uh, the newspaper stand that this guy hung out at. So I, I, I never made the connection until years later, but I think he was paying to get the results and get them on the air. Well, think about think about the, I mean, the, we're, we're talking about how most people now get quick, informed information is, you know, they pick their phone up and they right. get on you know, yes. Twitter, Instagram, you know, whatever it might be. But we're not, Twitter's not very old. You know, we're we're not talking like this thing's been around even no. even ten years. So we're in, it's still in its infancy in that regard. And in those days, uh, even though what you're talking about, Rob, isn't that long ago, um, it's still at a time when a lot of people relied on radio for news, and, oh, yeah, and it, that's where they got their stuff. And to your point, uh, if you would uh, miss a school lunch menu for whatever reason, just <laughs> accidentally skip over it, they would call the station, and because they were listening and they wanted to know. What little Johnny or what little Jenny was supposed to be having for lunch that day? So yes, you are you're correct. Well, think about how it's changed now. Like uh, one example was like school closings. So mm -hmm. when I was a kid, you wake up and there's six inches of snow on the ground. You immediately run and either turn the radio on or turn the local t you know news yeah, channel right, on. Right. And you have the crawl at the bottom with all the school closings, <laughs> right? And you're just that you're praying cool. that I'm going to see old Mount Vernon High on there. Come <laughs> on, baby. Go back to sleep. So I can go back to sleep. But nowadays, you know, the mom oh. and dad roll over and look at their phone. Yep. Did I get a text? Yep. Did From I get my group text, yep. my notification? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing yeah. in that regard how, uh, how stuff's changed. You know, one other thing about Mount Carmel, I want to add this because Cliz always talks about junior college basketball. The other beauty of Mount Carmel was well, that's where Wabash Valley Junior College is. 
uh, a really good junior college right. basketball program. Right. Has been to Hutchinson for the national finals a number of times. So I also had a chance to call those games, which was really beneficial for me. And I know Cliz has always talked about calling those junior college games, how much that meant to his career. Uh, I, I was similar in that, you know, again, you had a – here's this little small town, but you had a high-level junior college basketball program. So uh, that, that was pretty cool to be a part of too. Well, sometimes in the, the towns of that size – the, the gig you have like that is it's more important you can make a case it's more important to more people than sometimes a low-level gig in a major market oh yeah and and again and you know in Mount Carmel basically everyone came out to the games right so right it's a big deal right because most of those guys again it was high-level junior college ball so at least two or three guys off of every team would end up at a major division one school so yep. you were seeing high-level talent now you only get to see them one or two years but but yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for those folks. So you move on. Uh, how long in Mount Carmel? And then where's uh, your so next five stop? years, and I have to mention that's where I met my beautiful wife Stephanie. I got to get that in there. She's a Mount Carmel resident, born and raised. That's where we met, actually. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so she, uh, much smarter than I, uh, decides she's going to law school, and that means we're moving to Nashville, Tennessee, because she went to Vanderbilt Law School. So in 1998, we uh, we had just gotten married, been married a month basically, and packed up the U-Haul and headed for Nashville. Uh, but I was very fortunate. I caught on with a sports talk radio station in Nashville. Uh, when, and that was 1998. So sports talk radio was just kind of getting right. popular, right? right. Just kind of coming along. Uh, the station I worked for wasn't great. It was probably the lesser of the three stations in town, but it's still an opportunity. Um, and this was pre-Titans, right? Uh, the Titans had just come to town. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. The beauty of moving to Nashville in 1998, the Titans had just come to town, still called the Nashville Oilers, actually, right. uh, playing in Vanderbilt Stadium. But the Nashville Predators had just come to town. Oh, okay. So yeah. Nashville really had just become a big league city. You'd just gotten the NFL, you'd just gotten the NHL, and you just had a big league feel to it. Yeah. So it was really a great time, especially to be you know, married, no kids. <laughs> it was You're really right. a great time to be in Nashville. Um so I worked there and uh, did, I was like a morning show, again, kind of a co-host of a sports talk show. I wasn't very good, but luckily my partner was. Um, but I also had the chance then to call Tennessee State University games, football and basketball, uh, for two years. And then we were in Nashville three years. My third year, I switched over to Lipscomb University. And of course, the irony is this year we played both Tennessee State and Lipscomb in back-to-back yeah. -back games. Yeah, back-to-back -back games, too. But, but yeah, I worked for both of those schools calling, calling games, so... That was uh, that was quite an experience and a lot of fun and a good again for a young guy and I was 27, 28 at the time. That was that was probably just about my speed. That's where I should have been. Well, people, I don't know if people realize how many Division One programs are in Nashville. Yeah, yeah four oh, of yeah. them. There's I mean, a bunch. Yeah, I mean that is amazing. Yeah, Lipscomb, Belmont, Vanderbilt, Tennessee State, and Vandy. Yeah, yeah. and he he almost did all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I'd have gotten that Vandy gig, I might have stayed. Yeah, you probably would have. <laughs> be in the SEC. But that is, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good, uh, really good market for a broadcaster. A lot of options. Yeah, and again, with the sports talk being kind of in its infancy, that really helped too. Kind of just learning the ropes as you go. I I, re I can remember when Mike and Mike started on ESPN Radio because it was on the station we carried, uh, station we had, where it was an ESPN affiliate. I can remember thinking, man, this show isn't that good. I don't think it'll last very long. <laughs> it shows you what I know. It sounds like a Larry Clisby prediction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Every single one of them, this will not last. <laughs> Larry uh, is infamous for saying that the ESPN had no place in the world. On all sports station, no way. Yeah, Big Ten Network, no <laughs> way. Yeah, we talked about that yeah. last week with <laughs> Mike DeCorsi. 
<laughs> no way. So then uh, your next stop is Indianapolis. Uh, Indianapolis, and that's... 2001. Yep. So uh, Stephanie graduates law school. She gets a real job at a law firm in Indy. And so we're gone because she's going to make a lot more money than I am at a sports talk radio station, uh, which was fine. I actually, my first gig in Indy was at WNDE, right. your old stomping grounds. Uh, now, by this time, I'm 31, but I'm basically starting over. I mean, I was doing the overnights. You're talking about doing overnights. Yep. I was doing the overnight sports updates. Mm. So every 20 minutes, you got a two-minute window, right, to give the scores, which I was thinking, wow, I've, I think my career is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> the first time I did those, I had to do baseball scores in the summer. And you start. it makes you start thinking of different ways to say defeats. <laughs> yeah, defeats. right. I wins. Over <laughs> spanks. Yes. Whatever it might be. Clobbers. The Dodgers clobber the Reds tonight, 11-3. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It's Milwaukee over Chicago, 4-1. to one. And you have to keep coming up with different, different. Houston slips by <laughs> the Cardinals. Exactly. Two to one. Exactly. <laughs> it's the Rockies in a squeaker. 5-4 in 12 innings over Houston. Yep. So, uh, and that's when I, I met you. Yeah. Uh, because I remember uh, I came back to Purdue as a sports information contact for men's basketball and uh, talked to Rob, and uh, we kind of hit it off because uh, uh, my wife at the time was in law school. Yep. And so we were talking about that. And then uh, Rob just kind of started getting gigs and, and being around and being around. And then when, at what what year did you then join? Uh, well, yeah, but, he, but before that, though, he became the uh, – before that, Rob uh, became uh, an expert in the uh, indoor football league. Arena football league. Arena That's football. right. That's yeah. right. Uh, called games for the Indiana Firebirds, which are no longer exist. Now, I had also done, in Nashville, I had done games for the Nashville Cats mm. Arena League. The Cats. Did, so he became the, a, a arena football expert. But my track record. I remember, I remember this now. My track record, I was with the Cats. They folded. Moved to Indy with the Firebirds. They folded. <laughs> Evansville folded. Then I yeah Evansville. I didn't even think of Evansville. <laughs> then I caught on uh, with a team in Columbus, the Columbus Destroyers, and they folded. Uh, I, was, I was still in Indy, just driving back and forth. So every major football program I've ever been with, I call it major. They've eventually folded. The kiss of death. And it was kind of cool because when I first met Rob, he took me on one time. He said, "Hey, yeah, you, I took you to a game. Yeah, yeah. you want to go over to Columbus with me sometime?" see how this all works and I did and we went let me over. stop you there you won't remember this Do you, you won't remember this the quarterback for the Columbus Destroyers was Matt Nagy yes who was now head me. coach of the Chicago Bears yeah <laughs> yeah think about that Unbelievable. So, yeah how about it uh, so, well, so how was that trip over there well it, well I've always been fascinated in my whole life in terms of what we call these subcultures and there's Absolutely. a lot there's a yeah. lot of them out there i yeah i got associated for example in lafayette with the boxing culture like uh golden gloves and, and then some of the low professional stuff and you go around to some of those venues and and it's like i mean there's a lot of dedicated people that think this is like the greatest thing on the face of the earth and then you just kind of get to know those people and i, I was starting to you know, do some announcing at some of these things. I had a friend who said, hey, would you mind, you know, just say, you know, introduce, you know, so you're so you're doing this and you're thinking, geez, man, there are really people who care about this. Right. So in that case, and I didn't know anything about the Arena League and he took me over there, and it, but, but it was so cool. I mean, it was so cool to see from his perspective, which was different from mine because I'd never been around it, I hadn't watched it, but it's the same thing. You got X number of people that are like, 
whoa, they, they really think like this stuff is really yeah, cool, you it. know? Yeah, yeah, and they're really into it. So it, it was a really good experience. Now, the Arena League, that's where they had the nets in the end uh -huh. zone. Yep, correct, and a 50-yard so field. A 50-yard yep. field, so when you, on kickoffs, the ball would basically go into a net, and you had to play it off Could the field net, it, right? Yep, fielded it, and the ball was live, and yeah. And, it, and there, there weren't a number of players that made it from there to the NFL. Uh, now, one interesting story, the best player for the Indiana Firebirds was a guy by the name of Eddie Brown, Eddie Touchdown Brown. His son is Antonio Brown, now the star wide receiver for the Steelers. Pretty good player, yeah. <laughs> so some offspring of those guys ended up being pretty good NFL players. But uh, So, yeah, so I, I, I worked in that arena league for 10 years, I think it was, and I really actually enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. As Larry said, once you become a part of that subculture, you really right. you do really enjoy it. Um, but, uh, you know, so when I was at WNDE, I was like, I, you know, I look overnights for a guy in his young 30s. Probably I, I need to do something else here. So I just I got on the phone and I literally called every college, I think, in Indiana looking to see if they needed any broadcasting help. And I'm talking Anderson and Manchester, not just the big ones. I mean, I, and I was so out of touch, I called Ball State. And they're like, are you kidding me? We have this guy named Maury Manis. He's only been here 50 years. Like, <laughs> Another Hall of Fame. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, I didn't realize. Uh, but so when I called Purdue, and I, back to the old adage, for young people, if you're listening, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, the guy that picked up the phone, and I don't even remember if you'll remember this guy because he was only at Purdue for a short time. It was a guy named Rich Pichter. Yeah, he was running the network when Purdue was with Host. Uh, Rich and I are classmates at the University of Evansville. Wow. And had a number of classes together. Uh, he was in this, worked in the sports information department as a student, so he knew me from football, and again, I knew him from classes. And, uh, and again, I talk about not doing your prep work. When I called, I had no idea Rich was running the Purdue network. He picks up the phone. I'm like, hey, my name's Rob Blackman. He's like, yeah, hey, Rich Victor. I'm like, holy, <laughs> wow, Rich. Wow. wow. And I'm thinking, hey, this might be my You're day. Like, hey, now, yeah. this is fortuitous. Uh, but he said, you know, I don't have anything for you, but I got a guy that's going to miss a couple games here or there. He's our setup guy, our halftime postgame guy. If you'd like to fill in, you know, we'd love to have you. And so I did fill in for two years. And I uh, remember my first game. Cliz won't remember this. My first game I filled in, we were at Iowa. We went to it was me, Steve Reed, and the Cliz went to Iowa City and played Iowa. Um, so that's how that kind of started. And then two years later, the guy I'd been filling in for, his name was Brett Schetzel, for those who might remember from the network, decided to take a new job and move. And I was the logical choice to take his place because I'd done it. <laughs> because. <laughs> Was that forgive, a bad forgive our audio <laughs> difficulties here as we tape. We're in a uh, ballroom here at, on our Rutgers trip, and that just scared the crap out of me. That was the that was the kitchen behind it. So anyway, <laughs> you took, I do remember I do remember uh, you taking over for Brett. I remember when Brett, and it was it was a no brainer move. It was kind of yeah, like I'd hey, done it, this filled is, in a couple times, right, So right. I was familiar with it, um, and so thirteen years later, my first year as the full time guy with the network uh, was Coach Painter's first year. So. Uh, 13 years. It's always easy for me to remember that because I just think of how many years Matt's been the head coach. So yeah, that coincided pretty well. We were not a package deal, by the way. Most people think that you know, <laughs> Coach Painter wouldn't come unless I would. But I'll tell you what. I'll take the gig, but you got to bring in Blackman. <laughs> right. I don't think that uh, there's nothing, no truth to that. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it all worked out for me to catch on with Purdue. And so, uh, and your duties have changed a little bit. You've mm -hmm. you've worn a um, variety of hats here. Um, since you've been on board and you you obviously do the pregame show um color commentator on road games 
uh, currently for Purdue basketball. You, uh, your football duties include hosting the pregame, postgame shows, yeah. um, and then you you jump into some other sports. And yeah, I do you, baseball. Uh, I really enjoy doing the baseball games. Um, I've really enjoyed actually doing the baseball. I don't do the whole schedule, obviously, because they start mid-February and basketball is still going on. But I get 20 or 22 games in baseball a year, so yeah. And then uh, a lot of work, and especially recently, with the Big Ten Network as well. Yeah, that was another, again, young people, not what you know, who you know. Uh, when the Big Ten Network first came around 10 years ago, uh, my boss at the Columbus Destroyers, the Arena Football League team, a guy named Russ Mollahan, who I think so dearly of to this day, um, I called Russ because I knew he had worked at ESPN for a long time, and I knew a lot of the Big Ten Network big weeks were coming from ESPN. I said, Russ, do you know any folks you know, with BTN maybe could help me get a foot in the door? He's like, yes, I do. Let me make one phone call for you. And then a guy named Quentin Carter, who's like one of the big producers right, from yeah. BTN, you know, you know Quentin, yeah. he called me right away. He said, hey, I got a good recommendation from a guy named Russ Mollahan. Would you be interested in doing some work for us? And just a little bit here and there. I don't do a lot, but a handful of gigs. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so that's how I got the BTN stuff, yeah. When that BTN stuff, when the Big Ten Network came aboard, there was such a a ripple effect in the in, in the business kind of and mostly in the in the Big Ten areas yes but there was a lot of people that it was kind of decision time for a lot of people yeah like, hey you gonna jump on board this right. thing or, or are you gonna stick with ESPN or at the time and our fans will remember this uh, ESPN plus would have the the games and uh, or ESPN regional um, you know, maybe on a weekend, if it was ESPN Regional, went all over the Big Ten. If it was ESPN Plus, it was just local in the state of Indiana. And uh, a lot of guys had decisions to make when the Big Ten Network started hiring there. And that was a really kind yeah. of a crazy time. Well, and imagine if you had been a longtime employee of ESPN and you right. were pretty comfortable. You're about to jump onto a, a ship in total infancy, and you have no idea what direction well, no, it's going well, to no go. no chance to succeed. <laughs> According to the class. <laughs> There's yeah. probably somebody out there going, you know, I regret having coffee with Larry that morning because he talked me out of joining yeah. the Big Ten Network, <laughs> and look where it is now. But that was that was a that was a wild time because uh, at the time, uh, ESPN. I don't. I guess ESPN U was around, but most of those kind of lower level games kind of migrated over to ESPN U. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just didn't know where the direction was going and and they were pretty much locking guys in they were pretty much hey pick your side here um it was it was it was interesting and, and as you said um not only i mean people think about when the big 10 network was formed and you think about the announcers and the guys in front of the camera behind the microphone but you don't think about that some of the people you're talking about yeah the producers the scenes guys absolutely the, you know the directors the, the, the all the the things that go on behind the scenes in a broadcast so um, it, it was it was definitely interesting, and I and I'm glad you know you you uh, I'm glad you were there when you were because it's worked <laughs> out really well. So talk a little bit about uh, calling games with this guy uh, with Larry and just some of the uh, some of the things that uh, you've experienced over the 13 years. All right, well I he I am going to inflate his ego here a tad uh, simply because growing up in where I did the, the Monticello area. And when I did, right, and you're a kid in the 70s, television, as many of you know at that time, was not what it is now. You had your antenna and whatever it could pick up. You Three stations. <laughs> so, and where, you know, in that part of the state, 
Uh, you were a little fortunate because if you pointed it towards South Bend, you could get NBC, WNDU. So I watched a ton of Notre Dame football and basketball because they always carried the games. If you pointed it to Lafayette, obviously you got Channel 18, WLFI, so you saw Purdue all the time. So those were my two favorite teams growing up because those are the teams you could see, right? right? Notre Dame and Purdue were my two favorite without question. Uh, but then you watch Channel 18 Sports, and here's this guy, right, Larry Clisby. With the perm. <laughs> I only had the perm for one year. That's inflated. But but. So, <laughs> so I'm impressionable, right? I'm a young guy, and, uh, and then I'm a teenager, and I'm watching the Cliz, and then I finally get a chance to work with him. So I was a little intimidated that first game. I've never told you that. I'm like, man, this is Larry Clisby, for God's sakes. Wow. Then I really re- made you, it to the big time. Then you realize. Yeah, then I met him. I'm like, yeah, what a <laughs> letdown. all there is. <laughs> I mean, well, this is it? Uh, I did not think that. No, but what, what was the uh, – I bet you the uh, – I bet you the – coming into that probably said – probably someone said, boy, that guy's hard to work with or he's a <laughs> – You know, yeah, I'll be very honest since we're being honest. I did not hear that. I had never been told that. What I had heard is you were, had a little bit of wild streak to you, off the microphone, get out and have a little fun carousing around the town. Uh, but I have never, you know, I've been with you 13 years. I've never, I've never seen that side of you. So I, they were, the, they were the lying to me, or you've totally changed. I don't know. I probably, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> the legend was exp- was expanded too much. Um, well, and I can say because I was calling some games. Just before, probably about just before you took over on the road, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, would, you I were would call games with Larry, and uh, at the at the end when I you know I had the fortune of calling some games, we had some some down years, and I remember my number one goal was to try to just keep Larry upbeat and positive <laughs> yeah. at the commercial breaks, <laughs> <laughs> and then of course uh, um, then we when Coach Painter gets on board and. Yeah, you know this run, and you've mentioned, you know, you coming on board with Coach Painter, um, some uh, that first year, especially a lean year. Yeah, and then but then to get it going like this, I I think, and I think fans that listen to this podcast and listen to broadcasts and stuff, I think they understand. um, It's just human nature when you're around a team that uh, is doing some of the things that we're doing now, or some of the success we had, you know, with some of the teams over the last few years. I mean, night and day. You know, get into a get into an arena to call a game. Well, in that, and I think more importantly, but before we do that, I do have to say this publicly. Um, I love this guy. He's, I mean, we're, we've become very close, and uh, and he's always, you know, he's always been great to be around. And he and the cool thing about Rob is, and I, and you have always been the same way. But some people do not want to uh, come after me because. You know, I've been around for 40 years, and I'm, you know, I just turned in my, I'm in my 70s now. So people say, you know, hey, granddad, you're not going to, you're not going to embarrass him. But if I do something that's bad or stupid on the air or off, either one of you, or I mean, either one of you are going to look at me and say, hey, dude, hey, 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 wait. And, and Rob, and, and I respect him for doing it because he'll say, mm, no, 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 you know. And, but he, he's always known what he's done. And uh, he's really, really, really a good person, and I've really enjoyed it. I think I think it works to his disadvantage because obviously he is uh, he's he's in a position to take my place someday, and I hope that happens. I hope it happens. 
Tomorrow? Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it doesn't happen so, due to my death, my so early death. The backstory here for our listeners is there's a running gag uh, among the Purdue basketball family that uh, Rob is always trying to slip some cyanide into Larry's morning coffee. I always check it. Or, <laughs> That's or the problem. cut his brake lines or something of that nature. And the joke is that Larry's going to end up giving up the reins of the play-by-play at age 93, <laughs> at which time Rob will be 87 <laughs> right. and get to call the wheel my own deal. Well, it, in, in seriousness, though, it's a tough place to be because he's he's certainly qualified, and and, and none of us know what's going to happen from day to day. But I told him today after breakfast we were walking down here, and I said, oh, by the way, uh, I had my heart exam this week, and it really went well. Thumbs up, both cases. And he looks at me and says, darn. Yeah, I was like, damn it. Damn it. Oh, well. But anyhow, it's To uh, Cliss's point about, I don't know how you exactly put it, but something about trying to keep you on an even keel. If I had a nickel for every time we went to commercial break and he starts yelling at me over officiating or something, and I say to him, why are you yelling at me? I'm not the official. I didn't miss the layup. I didn't miss the dunk. He takes it out on me, but it's okay because I love you too, and I'm good with it. But it's like a well. The only thing it only thing that bothers him is if one of those pens come flying and it sticks into his into his arm or yeah, his right. back. He's like pulling it out, but it takes uh, it out on me. It's but but my but fault. I said but I said it's just recently. I mean I mean, and you add Ralph and Wes in there. Uh, Wes, our engineer, Wes Scott, who's been with us since 1999, and of course Ralph's been with us ever since Coach Painter's been here. When you when you work with the people that we work with, when you work, I mean, you can work if you worked with somebody that was that you didn't enjoy being around, it, it, right. it would get old. Yeah. No yes. question. And especially when and especially when things aren't going well. I mean, anybody can sit there, get through an 18-game winning streak and enjoy it. But it's when you you know there's, you go four or five years back when we were going through some tough times. It's a different story. But when you enjoy being around the people you're with. And uh, we always talk about it. We talk about it constantly. It's family. What people don't understand is is that what Rob and I and Ralph and Wes have, thanks to Elliot and thanks to Coach Painter, is that we get included. And very, very few broadcast operations have this same setup. Mm -hmm. And so we have total inclusivity. We have the ability, and all of you guys are friends. Now, the cool thing is none of us are going to go off on you ever on the air. I mean that. I mean that's just fact. Yeah. I don't care how bad it gets. But the but the point is, uh, we also can get information that a lot of people wouldn't have, and and that we can broadcast from time to time because we get the okay to do it. So, but it, it's that enjoyment that that really makes makes this job. You know, and people always ask me, and, and again, it's to his detriment. It's like, when are you going to quit? Well, why would I quit? This is too much fun. <laughs> no and, doubt. And I just exactly. and I just did this special piece with uh, down in Indianapolis with Mike Lepresti, with uh, with Lamey and and Howard Kelman, of, uh, who Rob knows all these guys, Don Fisher and Mark Boyle, and we had I don't know 184 years between the five of us with all these teams. And but but the but the thing the the question was, when do you guys want to quit? And it was all. It was all the same thing. Why would we want to quit? You know, with the exception, and I've seen people, well, you know, he's slipping. But it just, and you, you kind of want to know when it's time to be done, but it's, it's just so much fun. And it's not only winning and losing, which is part of it, but it's being around the people that we're around. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all lucky because Coach Painter sets the tone. I mean, yes, it, he does. Yes. There's, uh, there's people in our there's positions. There's nobody like him. Nobody like him. And there's people in, in our positions 
uh, in every sport in every different colleges that have horror stories about how their head coach, you know. After <laughs> oh, and by the loss, way, and by the way, I had 25 years with Coach Katie, and he and and he's he's like a father figure to me. I mean, I I love that man. So I've had I've had 25 years with him and 13 years with Matt. I mean, what are you talking about, man? How could it be any better than that? Yeah, and, and it's not, you know, it's not. It, losing's tough on everybody, but the way some coaches react to losing, I mean, you, if we could tell some stories, <laughs> people's jaws would be on the floor about how some of these coaches uh, act, treat people around them, blame others, that yeah. kind of thing. And, right. and it's, uh, it's never happened around here, which is, goes back to the point of why it's so enjoyable. So. Well, that brings us to the Final Four segment here, Rob, and uh, episode 37 here with Rob Blackman. And the Final Four questions that we pose to every guest on here. Question number one, what is your go-to music of choice? By the way, I'm quite prepared because I've listened to every single podcast. So I know the four questions that are coming. Four home runs. So I've been thinking about this for a very long time, (laughs) hoping that one day I might be asked to be on the podcast. Go-to music of choice right now would certainly be classic rock. Um, Any for those particular have, band? Uh, not particularly. I do dig the Cars. Really? Big on them. Okay. Bruce Springsteen is a favorite of mine. Um, but if if you uh, have uh, Sirius Satellite Radio, Channel 25, they call it uh, the second generation of classic rock. Oh, yeah? Probably 90% of the time that's what you will find on in my car. That's you mentioned the cars. The, just the other day, I was heading to work, and I always just shuffle all the music uh, that I've got, a few thousand songs. So there, I, there a lot of stuff pops up, and the, uh, a car song popped up. And I just happened to think the other day, I thought, you know, that's an underrated band. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the cars have a lot of – it's one of those bands that when you when you sit somebody down and say, name me a car song, they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. Then you start listing up – listing all the songs and they go yeah. oh I know that right, well right, I know that yeah. oh yeah that's yeah. a good song you know they've got six seven eight nine ten uh hits that people know by heart they just don't know the band yeah and I so yeah classic rock and then I would say that's 90 percent of it and the other 10 percent every now and then I'll sneak over to channel 39 which is a uh, hair metal all right really I was a teenager in the 80s so how could you not like a few hair bands now and then so so that would be like a, a post-michigan game uh purdue gets a great win you're driving back down to indy that night you crank on the hair metal a little dr feel good from motley <laughs> crew or something like yeah because i'm feeling good right now oh that's outstanding <laughs> Okay, uh, second question here on the Final Four with Rob Blackman. What is uh, an, the latest book you've read or a very uh, or a book that you're very fond of? All right, uh, this is a long answer. Again, I prepped for this. Uh, two books I read this summer. Summertime is my reading time because obviously the football, basketball, baseball seasons are over, so I have some free time. Uh, but I read two really good ones. Going back to Bruce Springsteen, his autobiography, Born to Run. Right. Read that this summer. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that especially with us being here in the state of New Jersey recording this today. There you go. Uh, and then I read another one called The Trident uh, about uh, a former Navy SEAL, actually a Navy SEAL and Army Ranger, guy that went through both trainings. Wow. Um, was uh, injured in uh, uh, overseas in uh, Afghanistan, actually had basically half of his face blown off, and they reconstructed it. it uh, it's really a book on leadership. Uh, he was one of the top Navy SEALs and. As he admits in the book, he was uh, uh, a little too confident, a little too arrogant, a little too uncoachable, for probably lack of a better word. 
uh, did not listen to his superiors the way he should have and ultimately put his men in a very dangerous position. Uh, and so he got kind of knocked down a few pedestals and they actually made him go through that Army Ranger training, which he completed and kind of worked his way back into the good graces of the Navy SEAL. So uh, really good book. Uh, my all-time favorite book, this will catch you guys off guard, but it is my all-time favorite. Uh, it's a book that's uh, called You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried. Uh, it is basically the backstory of the John Hughes, not basically it is, the backstory of the John Hughes films of the 80s that involved the Brat Pack. Really? So Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles. Wow. Uh, St. Almost Fire, those movies. Um, just the backstory, you know, why Why Molly Ringwald all the time. That you know? does, that does. Yeah. Well, again, I'm a teenager a in the shocker. 80s, right? I graduated high school in 1989, so those movies were right in my wheelhouse at that time. Uh, so those were influential on me, so I, I've always uh, enjoyed those movies, and I, I'm kind of big on what is the backstory to anything. And so, yeah, that's my favorite book. Wow, that's really cool. I think uh, I, I know there's got to be somebody that listens to that and, and uh, decides to go out and read that book. Oh, please read it. Please read how, it. You know, how popular were those movies yeah and if you're again if you're in my age group you know i'm 47 now they've been right in your wheelhouse and they, you just again why molly ringwald right why why did they shoot this scene this way why it was right why did they choose this music for this scene so so do you watch how things get made on uh, whatever yeah sometimes yeah 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 i i'm really big on the backstory yeah you, you know well, who why? was a big fan of how things get made aj hammonds would really? always come in and tell me that was his favorite show <laughs> and he would wow. say you know i watched the show the other night on how they get the cream inside the twinkies and i and he would then explain to me the twinkie assembly line and how things got made <laughs> and i would look at him like he had three eyes like what <laughs> well it's, i mean it is fascinating because I, I just this week i was uh, you know they brought up this uh, natalie wood uh right. yeah, robert right. wagner story again and uh that now they have labeled this death suspicious this is she's been dead for 41 years yeah mm -hmm. and yeah. of course i remember both of them and and i and i and just looking at it on the news and i'm we were just talking about this earlier in the podcast i get it off my phone or off my computer and i'm reading the news and reading that they're, they're having a TV special on this particular incident. Then you get to thinking, Christopher Walken, by the way, was on that boat as well. And mm -hmm. there's always been yeah, a finger. Yeah, I saw, I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's always been a pointed finger that uh, Wagner and uh, Wood got in a, you know, a, a bad argument and they were by themselves. And before you know it, she's in the water and mm -hmm. and they, the next time they see her, she's floating. So, but, but it's really interesting. and. So again, a backstory that has been told year after year after year, and now it's brought up again, and you're still wondering, hey, what's the deal here? That is amazing. And when you think about movie ideas and book ideas and things like that, really, there's an infinite amount <laughs> of stuff out there yeah. to go do. Yeah, a movie especially on. I know you both. You guys are in into music, and Elliot really is, and he's he's read a lot of these uh, rock and roll stories. And when you when you you know Keith Richards, when you when you start talking about some of these guys and they have these uh, stories, you, you just sit there in amazement, how, number one, how they ever survived, <laughs> yeah. and, and number two, all the things they've gone through. And, and I mean, it's not all debauchery. I mean, there's, right. there's other things, like Keith Richards' story, which I find so amazing, is his, his absolute uh, uh, his obsession with trying to get the right recording right, stuff. And it right. started with uh, with reverb, you know, and, and just that story itself is a very interesting story. I'm reading a book now on Otis Redding, um, and it describes the scene. He was uh, discovered in 
uh, recorded uh, for the first time seriously in Memphis. And they talked talk, talked about uh, they had the studio for the whole day, and a, another studio was paying to basically have this band come in and record. And uh, oh, they were there to record another guy. And Otis was kind of a backup guy and was like begging, "Can I just can I can you record one song for me?" Huh. And then he sang uh, "These Arms of Mine." And, Everybody was like, uh, yeah, we're going to need some more time here. <laughs> so wow. it's just cool. really cool, uh, really cool backstory stuff. Uh, question number three here on the Final Four with Rob Blackman. Uh, Rob, if you could wave a wand and do any other profession, what would that be? Speaking of waving a wand, a magician. I have really? always, always <laughs> been infatuated with magicians. Uh, really? And not, and not the go to Vegas and make a building disappear or an elephant disappear. I'm just talking the sleight of hand. Uh, guys wow. uh, and gals, I have. Any, I don't know. any favorite music? Uh, no, magicians? no, no, no. Like, you don't have a David Copperfield T-shirt. No, nope, nothing the like that. It could be a street magician right here in New Brunswick. Uh, we walked out the hotel, and I've just always been infatuated with that. Probably because I can't do it. I know I couldn't even if I tried. Um, plus, who doesn't like a magician? I've never heard anyone say, "Boy, I don't like magicians." Right? Everyone likes that someone that a, can do that magic. That is amazing. So I mean, that is really, 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 I would, I did not know that about you I at all. Would, if I, well, if I, I had the talent, and you said I could wave a wand, so yeah, I would be a magician. Well, good for you. That's pretty cool. That's certainly a first on the podcast. Yes, uh, what is one thing, other than wanting to be a magician, what is one thing that either no one or not many people know about you? All right, so I'm going to circle back the way this interview started. Uh, <laughs> I told you guys that my first job was in Mount Carmel, Illinois, in a building that had two stations, one of them the FM rocker that... 50,000 watts in the Evansville DMA. Uh, our boss, uh, my boss, was not fond of me using the name Rob Blackman as an on-air name. Now, I used it on the AM station, so imagine, you, imagine how confusing this is. You're talking about changing your persona. I had to change names because I was Rob Blackman for the Mount Carmel audience. Uh, but on, <laughs> on the uh, FM rocker, where I was the morning news sidekick guy, my name was Kip Thomas. <laughs> 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 oh, I didn't expect, didn't expect that reaction. Kip Thomas. Kip everybody. Thomas. Oh, now, oh, that, that's now see, that information should have yeah. never oh, been yeah. divulged to us. Never should have. No, yeah. It actually could have been worse. My, my middle name is Kip, but my, name is, my given name is Robert Kip Blackman. So that makes really? sense. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't knew know that, that because I, I had to do that on the flight manifest. I have to list everybody's middle names. So and, I did know Kip. And I, and I begged, I begged the station manager, just <laughs> let me use my real name. He's like, no, it's not rock and roll enough. Kip, he actually, but Kip Thomas is so. I rock mean, and that roll. is rock and roll. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> and I was able to. Talk, unfortunately, I was able to talk him out of this. He originally wanted it to be Clancy Thomas. <laughs> I was like, "What, Clancy? That is so oh. embarrassing." So I at least got him to budge on the first name, but he was not budging on the last name. It had to be Thomas. So now nothing says nothing says cool rock and roll like Clancy. <laughs> So if you're in the Evansville area, or oh. were at that time, and used to listen to WRBT, the classic rocker, and you heard Kip Thomas in the mornings, uh, okay, yeah, that's now, me. That's now, me. if anybody listens to this podcast and they remember Kip Thomas, <laughs> you you <laughs> need to proceed to your nearest computer Absolutely. or phone oh, and, yeah. and email us at boilerballpodcast at gmail.com, and you need to tell Along us. with Kip Thomas. <laughs> you're Ralph Taylor and Wes Scott, Larry Clisby from Rutgers Athletic See, Center. I, and I've debated for a couple months about would I ever tell that story if I was on the podcast, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tell it. 
Welcome to Mac, everybody. I'm Clancy Blackman here. <laughs> I mean, can you Charlie Chandler Clancy. and Kip Thomas. Now, we just told that story at breakfast today, and we were sitting there. Vince uh, Edwards was at our, uh, our breakfast table, and we were talking to Vince, and the fact that Larry's on-air name used to be Charlie Chandler came up, and Vince looked at us like we were crazy. And now, I do said, want to. We now, said this now, the Payne, last now time. Payne tells that story a little bit incorrectly. It was not my on air name commercially, it was my on air name at Kent State University at the student station, like Rob talked about earlier when he was at Evansville. But I did use Charlie Chandler. And I really, really, prior to my first, um, my first commercial job, I was very leaning that way. I was going to change my name. If I was going to do sports, I was going to make it Larry Chandler. And. Um, that's how it was going to go down, and then I got to thinking about my dad, and my dad was an older gentleman at the time, and I was adopted, and I had so much respect for him. I, and I know Clisby's a tough name, but I just felt like it would be disrespectful to him. Now, there's some times in my life I really wish I would have been Charlie Chandler, so <laughs> the publicity that I got wasn't quite as bad as it was. But nonetheless, I stayed with Larry. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Charlie Chandler and Kip Thomas. <laughs> oh, I can't get over Clancy. This is oh, yeah. Clancy. I, again, I luckily talked him out of that because he was dead set on me being Clancy Thomas. Well, yeah, well I kind of think Rob Blackman's a pretty good name. I, I, I would, too. I, I would think that that would be a pretty good radio that's name. That's what I wanted well, to use. And now when we uh, we get on the bus after games, when we're on road games, usually the radio crew is one of the last people on because they're tearing down the equipment and getting to the bus. And I kind of do a check to make sure we have everybody before we proceed to the airport or get on the road to the bus home. And uh, from now on, I, I will be I will be saying, do we have Cliz, Wes, and Clancy? Are they here? And of course, everybody will look at us, Clancy, and then I'll give the backstory. I should have left the Clancy part out. I should have not told that part. <laughs> well, we said we we talked about it with PJ when he was on. You need thick skin in this travel party. <laughs> but understand, certain. Rob, that you now get you're going to be benefiting from the bump. Yeah, yeah. Right. So now an uptick in your life in general will, will occur because of being on the Boilerball podcast. Hopefully they're not Googling Kip Thomas. Yeah, right. probably won't find me. <laughs> well, that was episode 37. Rob, uh, thank you for taking time to join us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You enjoyed it. Thank you, man. All right, that was episode 37 here on the Boilerball podcast with Rob Blackman. I want to thank everybody, as always, for listening. I want to thank the great Sylvia Booker for uh, lining Rob up and all the uh, future guests that she's got in the queue. Uh, we, we promise to have the, more of those cranked out for you real soon. Until next time, I want to remind everyone to please be curious, be informed, and be well.